Welcome to Growth Marketing Camp, a podcast powered by OpenSense, where we sit down with leaders and founders from diverse backgrounds in marketing, tech, and beyond to explore what it takes to build a leading brand that's shaping the world of B2B. Let's get into it. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bobby Narang. I am co-host of Growth Marketing Camp. I am extremely excited to have Jeremy Fisher, Demand Marketing Senior Specialist at Quantum Metric, join us on the show today. Jeremy, welcome to Growth Marketing Camp. Thanks, Bobby. Great to be here. Yeah, appreciate you joining. We were just chatting a little bit. Uh, you've got a role at a, at a really interesting company, Quantum Metric. Let's just start there. Tell me a little bit about Quantum Metric. What do you guys do? Who do you serve? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing um, at Quantum Metric today. Sure. So, have you ever been on a website and maybe there's something on it that hasn't worked? Mm-hmm. Has that ever happened to you? Absolutely. Maybe there's a product out of stock or mm-hmm. something's loading and loading and loading and nothing happens. And basically, that's what Quantum is trying to solve. Those are the sorts of problems we're looking to solve. And the cool thing about Quantum Metric is that we can quantify the dollar amount that your business might be losing mm-hmm. on those particular problems. Mm-hmm. So we can look at the average cart price for a given sample customer, then factor in a few other issues and, and problems, the amount of time this has been happening for, mm-hmm. um, and show you exactly you know what that business impact can be. So really powerful stuff and really cool company to be working for. Yeah, and, and so with that, uh, not to nerd out totally on on the value prop here, but are those issues strictly technical issues that trigger these outcomes, or is it also some level of perhaps I don't know bad copy or I don't know just poorly laid out pages? Is it strictly technical issues that you all surface, or are there other elements uh, as well? It's optimization on both sides. Okay. More so technical errors because those are a lot of things that are going to go unseen. Mm-hmm. So API timeouts are, are errors that you're not looking for necessarily. Quantum metric will alert your web team or your IT team that those are happening and mm-hmm. how long they've been happening for. So that to us is the huge value. But of course, there's session replay and different things you can test with different partners of ours to figure out you know, how to optimize further than just the the outages or the issues that you're seeing. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And and for a product like that, I imagine there's a span of stakeholders that you're talking to. Like, I, I mean, the web team you mentioned, obviously, but then it's a dollars and cents thing. So commerce is going to be involved too. Who, who are you typically selling to? It's typically IT and, and web folks because okay. they're often who hold the budget for these sorts of things. But our product does loop in everybody because you've got the the vertical owners, the the product owners, but then the IT team is really interested in how the technology actually works. Yep. Uh, the web team wants to know how it affects their metrics. So it's it's really everybody. Um, the buying committee can be pretty large for something like this. Makes sense. And and tell the audience a little bit about what you do at Quantum right now. So as a demand marketing senior specialist, I am leading the charge in our demand center, which is the way in which our product marketers can leverage the marketing team to build out email sends and landing page work and kind of get their campaigns running in a more scalable way. I see. So I'm mainly the channel owner for email and I'm working with people from our creative team, the those vertical owners um, and 
people across the business all coming together to get those campaigns sent and, and sent out the door. It's interesting. So it's a, it's a B2B play here. These emails that you are sending, and again, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but I, I, I want to pull on this thread a little bit before we, we transition topics here. But, but are these folks that you've met at conferences or signed up for newsletters, perhaps have been in your pipeline at different points in, in their life cycle? And, and yes. if so, like how important is the email channel um, in the context of the demand center and some of the other channels that, that you're operating in? Email is pretty huge for us, whether we're emailing customers about new features yep. or emailing prospects from trade shows about, you know, what we do and how they can get in touch with us. It's it's pretty huge. One of the most important things is segmentation. Okay. And I feel like we're gonna we're gonna talk about this a lot today. Um, but rather than blasting your whole database, understanding where that lead came from and what their job title is and their persona and where they live and Maybe we're inviting them to a local event. Um, something like that is, is huge for all of our emails. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, segmentation was absolutely going to be the next sort of series of quick hit questions I have for you. Because if you meet someone at an event, do they do they fit in the same cohort? Do you distribute them into other other lists and and segments? And is it maybe a different cadence for folks that have perhaps been in pipeline at some point and maybe didn't convert or? At a high level, can you share some of sort of maybe the the structure or ways that you think about your segmentation? And are there some general rules of thumb that you might be able to share with the audience about how to think about segmenting, say, a pool of your, let's say, 10,000 or 50,000 leads or contacts, whatever you might have in your database? Sure, sure. So on our marketing operations team, there's a lot of data work that has to happen in the back end first. Okay. And we have workflows in, in HubSpot in place to set people's persona and standardized data for their location and get everything squared away in the back end first. And then once all that is is in the contact record, then we use sublists to build out our email segmentation. So there are active lists in HubSpot that are pulling in account tier, persona is this, location is this, job title is this. And so instead of building those lists from scratch every time, we can just kind of grab the different sublists we need and then look at how many people that is for that given send and then look at anyone who might need to be excluded because they're not opted into email or they've unsubscribed and then kind of take that large list at the top and then filter it down to get our our number for a given send. Yeah, um, one point and then one follow-up question on that. The first point is it sounds like Having a system in place whereby every single contact that ends up in your system is treated the exact same way, or at least gets the same sort of data treatment or cleansing or or, mm -hmm. or just getting that alignment where regardless of count tier or title or persona, you have the exact same set of data to work with contact to contact, and that just keeps everything clean, consistent, uniform actionable i think that 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 one i think makes a ton of sense and I, I know that that's something that even if you just look in if i look in my own hubspot instance the sporadic gaps in you know title here phone number there etc right. etc like yeah. just if that were all uniform i can imagine that being a pretty important boon to even our sort of own dimension efforts here yeah the, the question i have is when you think about creating a segment is there sort of uh is, is there a number that is like the minimum viable number 
I mean, an email is an email and it seems fairly straightforward to draft, but I mean, do you think about like, tar do you have targets in terms of numbers that sort of are based on your conversion metrics and, and things like that? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, we, I would say typically we're looking anywhere from two to 10,000 people in those okay. sends. Usually the smaller sends are performing better because we've segmented pretty far down. And one thing we'll do is we'll add a list of anybody who's opened an email in the past six months on top of everything. And that gets out of people who are really interested in the emails we're sending and they're not just deleting them or moving them over to spam. So that is another way to get a little bit better engagement from each of the sends we're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I find that if we're sending to more than around 10,000 people, unless it's our customers, it's kind of going to flop and open rate's going to be pretty low. So Yeah. 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 I mean, just like it seems like most anything related to demand marketing today, the more focused you can be, the more defined you can be in who you're emailing or who you're touching and why, like the better the, the outcome. Probably because the content aligns a little bit better yeah. as well. Yeah, you're thinking about who is actually going to receive this email instead yeah. of, or we should send it to our entire database and hope it works out. Exactly. It just won't. Yeah. So, so what works in email from a content standpoint these days? I have found that this is, is fairly obvious, but there's nothing really earth shattering. People are really excited to click on your button at the bottom of the email. That's almost always the, the top performer in our clicks. The header image, usually number two. And then sometimes that, that hyperlink text in the body is number three. But the bottom at the bottom of the email is, is really interesting to people. And it, it's usually an action that corresponds with what we're trying to get them to do. So it makes sense. Email is about driving behavior and changing actions. But yes. Yeah, it's just a button click usually. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's really interesting. And it speaks to, you know, I have an 18 month old and there isn't a button he can find that he won't press. <laughs> that probably speaks a little bit to our innate sort of wiring to press buttons. Yeah. I mean, that's something you... that my, my mom always hated me when I would sit in her car and just press everything. She'd be convinced yeah. it wasn't working the same way once I touched it. But exactly. You were, you were just about to say something. You, you receive an email, you look at the subject line. Yep. And then you skim it and you have a pretty good sense of what it's about right away. And then you click the button and you go to the web page that it it's driving towards. It isn't it isn't really as complicated as people think and it's obvious, but yeah. Uh, buttons are pretty important. Now when you talk about the button, the actual CTA itself, what type of objectives are you promoting? What behaviors are you driving? Is it simply a click through to a web page? And if so, do you correspond a web or landing page to every email campaign that you set up? Or is it driving eyeballs to existing pages that have a set, like understood conversion rate, et cetera? We're driving to our standard website pages or pages that are being used for all sorts of different channels. Mm -hmm. So we're not building a, an email only page. Cool. If it's webinar registration, it's the same page that's going to be on the display ad or the the email, but we do use UTMs pretty heavily to differentiate the performance of of those channels. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and then generally speaking, um, and again, like if you've listened to the podcast, you know, like my dirty little secret is that I love sort of gleaning ideas and insights to apply to our own company. But when you think about again, what are you driving towards? I feel like in our business, we're still very 
driven towards demo registrations, right? That's like our KPI that we want to continually sort of, you know, hit and hit hard. But again, I'm hearing webinars. I mean, are you also like some of the traditional kind of like white paper downloads and maybe demos as well? What are some of those outcomes that you're pursuing in your overall email strategy? Just that mm -hmm. sort of immediate next step. Yeah. Our, our content strategy deals with a lot of guides and ebooks and white papers. I found that those emails actually perform better. Our emails where we're just going for a demo request, because mm -hmm. if people want a demo request, they're already going to be on our website and they'll just fill out that form. Absolutely. That higher top of funnel content, um, a, an ebook for, for the retail industry with upcoming holiday trends, for example, is going to perform way better for us. Um, Absolutely. That, that makes a ton of sense. Well, look, I, this is, this is like, I think super fascinating. I think it's really interesting to hear sort of the, the programs that, um, that you're kind of spearheading at Quantumetric. One of the things I wanted to kind of discuss with you though, is that, um, you know, you've, you've basically been in, in a marketing function now for the last several years, like call it four or five years since, since you, uh, you graduated. I'm just kind of curious at a high level, can, can you speak a little bit towards your adaptation perhaps from day one on the job you know at your your previous company and previous role to where you are today and, and really what i'm curious about are just like high level philosophies or learnings or just um ideology i guess you could say as it pertains to marketing and, and how you're approaching it that perhaps you either have had since day one or perhaps that you've developed since day one or perhaps that have adapted or evolved since day one? Yeah, totally. One of the, the first things that come to mind is that when you first start out in your career, you are just trying to follow orders and follow directions and not rock and just learn how to do the thing and do a good job with that and, and move on. But what our CEO has talked a lot about is challenging things in your role. Mm -hmm. And if you find that something isn't working or you're not really sure why you're doing it, then it's okay to actually challenge it and talk to your your manager or the person requesting it and in a very nice way, try and ask what the goal is and why sure. they requested it. And that can provide a lot more value than just continuing to do the same weekly email or, or piece of content or whatever it is. Um, and starting to learn that in uh, after being in the job for a few years is, is powerful and, and pretty huge to realize that you don't necessarily need to just do your job, but you can, you know it best because you're doing it every day. So you can kind of look at it critically and, and respond back to people and, and change things for the better instead of just kind of the way the role used to be. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Like, yes, I can sit here and hit this button to make this thing happen, but it's a lot easier for me to do that if I understand the why. Like, yeah. what, what are we trying to accomplish here? Like, and, mm -hmm. and, it, and if I understand that maybe there are some recommendations that I can make that actually can make our outcome more effective or more aligned with that objective. Exactly. So yeah. get, get good at your, your day-to-day -day quickly and then think about how you can change it and optimize it instead of just keeping it exactly the way it was. Yeah, totally. And, and, and uh, along those lines, I mean, have you basically been a learner strictly from experience? Have you read any any authors or followed any i don't know perhaps folks in this field 
Tell me a little bit about sort of how you have sort of ramped up your knowledge and capability and understanding that you've still got ways to go in your career. But I mean, like how, how have you basically gotten your feet wet and, and gone from green to, to where you are today? Mm-hmm. It started for me working at a marketing agency out of college. Cool. Um, New Breed Marketing in, in Burlington, Vermont is a, a diamond HubSpot partner. And oh, cool. so that was my first job out of college. And they said, you need to become HubSpot certified before you can do anything else. And so that was my foundation to email marketing and you know, the whole world's digital marketing. And working with clients directly and just kind of getting thrown in and figuring it out as I go was really the best way to learn. Mm-hmm. So learning by doing is very much how I operate. I don't think watching product videos is all that useful. I think it's way better to get in and and just mess around with it yourself because you learn really quickly that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you sort of think about Let's say that you have a greater scope, greater focus, greater uh, opportunity as you continue to progress in your career. What's the next step here? So, so you, you've built out sort of a demand program around email. What's the next logical channel, I guess, you sort of look to? And what are some of the key outcomes or objectives that you might want to sort of pursue in, in those channels once you've sort of maxed out your execution on the email side. One thing that translates pretty well is actually working on a chatbot. We use our chatbot for SCRs to respond to prospects, but we also have similar messaging as our emails on our chatbot. So promoting those assets and segmenting your audience based on those verticals and where they are can really translate pretty well because when you're building out that chatbot strategy, the copy for that email is going to be pretty similar on your website and pretty similar on your on your chatbot messaging. So we are it's not that we're using email less, but we're trying to find ways that we can take new content and and promote it on that channel. So it's really interesting. So what you're saying I'm 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 not understanding this. So, so tell me a little bit about sort of how you think about segmentation with the with the chatbot. That that's unclear to me. So we can see when there's a visitor engaging with chatbot that they're in the financial services industry. So our next message in that prompt is going to say, here's our latest ebook on financial services. And we know they're going to be interested in that because we use Clearbit and Sixth Sense and we're pretty certain that that's their vertical. So when that ticket comes in to build that, that email out, we can mm-hmm. hit on our chatbot as well. So it's just another channel to promote a similar, similar asset. Very interesting. And so this kind of brings us back to sort of segmentation. So you're you're saying that it's not good enough to necessarily simply cater your content strategy towards, uh, again, the web team or the commerce team or the whatever the case might be, but also the, the industry-specific framing of your content also has sort of incremental returns. What, what's sort of the difference there, if you can speak to kind of like the impact on maybe more generic persona base versus persona plus plus industry? I don't, I don't know if that's too granular of a question, but I, I am kind of curious about the impact of, of aligning your content strategy to industry plus versus just persona or yeah, um, yeah, yeah. title. Yeah, fair question. Know. I mean, the more you can drill down into what that persona is and what they're interested in and where on the internet they live better. Another example with that, that chatbot is 
we are thinking about the that financial services persona coming to our website and engaging with the bot. And there we can present an event that we're attending and we can call that out right there. Mm-hmm. And we know that that persona might be a little more interested or, or privy to that message because they're already engaging with that chatbot mm-hmm. rather than putting the fact that we're attending an event in, in its own email and then blasting that out. So meeting people where they are and, and thinking about what their persona is. Can yeah. Yeah. So, so meeting people where they are, where they are on the internet is another phrase that you use. Where are you gleaning that information from and, and what exactly does, does that mean? I don't think it actually comes from anywhere in particular except okay. my experiences on the internet. Like if I'm on, if I'm browsing a website and I'm interested in a product or a service and I'm engaging with their web pages and the chatbot appears and I say, oh, they're going to this event. That's cool. I mean, that's meeting customers and, and prospects where they are. So you don't want to smatter them with like overwhelming them with every channel and, and blasting that one ebook across the internet, but getting at them in curious ways and, and getting to them in more than just the traditional way can be a good way to go about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you've also mentioned a couple of technologies um, that you're leveraging currently. Um uh, of course, besides your market automation platform, a clear bit, I'm sure, is the data enrichment piece to your market automation. So basically creating that standardized and uniform approach to all your contact data uh, across the board. Uh, Sixth Sense is another tool, uh, another platform that I'm, I see more and more. I think there's a lot of language in the market today. Uh, I don't say hype, but there's a lot of conversation about Sixth Sense and its capabilities. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about a little bit about the impact that a sixth sense can have on on the approach that you're you're engaging in? Like what it, what do they actually do for for you and how are you taking advantage of their value proposition? Yeah, so I can't speak too too much to it um because it falls a little more on our sales team actually. Okay, interesting. What I can tell you is that our chatbot is qualified which uh works natively with Salesforce and we've been super happy with them. And that plugs in directly with Demandbase and Sixth Sense or any other ABM tool. Mm-hmm. And so what we're able to do is run sales loft cadences within our chatbot. So if I send you an email about something that we've discussed and then you click a link in that email and go to our website, that sales loft cadence is going to trigger something in our chatbot strategy and it will identify that we've already been communicating through sales loft. And because of that, ABM campaign that we built out. Yep. Uh, that marketing is all unified and it's a way better experience than just getting like the standard boilerplate message. Wow. It's just really interesting to hear because that sounds like such a sophisticated approach where you've got multiple systems that are talking to one another and you've got a very clear and current picture of your contact, your lead, meaning that when they're on website and qualified is engaging with them through the chat bot sales loft is now potentially delivering copy yeah. down downstream into qualified knowing that they've clicked through on on that link in the initial marketing email exactly that's, that's phenomenal orchestration i mean neat yeah yeah it's really neat and again what's the value of orchestrating to that extent i mean is there do you know what the before and after looks like before this sort of like beautiful orchestration and after? Because 
Like it seems like that would deliver an incredible experience just again, and also demonstrate that, you know, your lead, you know, your contact, like, and you know where they are and what they're interested in. I'm just super, super curious about what the conversion rates are relative to, to not doing that. And just, just the old practice of getting them to their website and maybe they fill out a form, maybe they don't. Yeah. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but we definitely saw an improvement. It's definitely working. Yeah. Um, And I think in the beginning, people might think that it's a little weird that we have all that information, but that's just how marketing and business is these days. I think people are almost expecting it to be seamless and work well and be connected to that rep that they're working with right away. So why not embrace it? Yeah. And and I think that comes comes back to a little bit about what I think is interesting about you at this point in in your career, which is like you've got a you know, I think every generation gets a little bit better at embracing, leveraging, and sort of more intuitively using technology or becoming a little bit more na- natural. I- I'm one of, of the generation where I remember pre-internet and I remember when it first came and everything since. And so I, I, I kind of have a, a foot in, in on both sides, but it's likely that you grew up in just all internet all the just time. About, yeah. So, I mean, how does that, so so it sounds like that probably influences the way that you think about engaging with prospects and customers and perhaps how you think about wanting to be engaged with by potential brands that you're purchasing Mm -hmm. or or engaging with in that regard. To use a a non-quantum example, if I shop on a website and then I get put into their, their nurture stream and I start getting emails about similar products that I was looking at or sales for similar products that. I, I purchased my generation. I don't think that that is so off-putting or bizarre. It's like, oh, yeah, maybe it's because I'm a marketer, but I think, oh, I'm now in your nurture stream and I can see that you're giving me these emails. Yeah. And I'm I'm interested. Like, yeah, it it isn't that off-putting to me. Um, and maybe that's a generational thing. Maybe it's not. But the marketer in me sees that I've been been added to that workflow and I'm going through it. And it's just kind of how my brain works. Yeah, totally. Totally. Do, do, you, do you all encounter any challenges around you know some of the latest privacy regulation is that something that at all impacts thinking or approach i mean obviously you spoke to opt-ins and on the email side and i think that's super straightforward um mm-hmm. i don't know is is there any potential impact related to privacy in in the context of some of the strategies that you're executing yeah well the the first one is that many of our marketers would like us to email x number of people in our database and we have to tell them we can't email them just because they're in our database. We can only email them if they've actually become marketing eligible and, and opted in. So that's still a hard thing for some people to understand. But yeah, it's a huge part of what we do. You don't want to send spam traps. You don't want to send yes people that aren't engaged because it's kind of a waste of an email send anyway. Yep. And especially with our EMEA prospects and customers, we have to be really careful about who is oh, up yeah. and who we're sending to. And I wouldn't be surprised if the U.S eventually heads that way anyway. So yeah, we're, we're thinking a lot about it. And it does make our email sends a good deal smaller when we take out those those unengaged contacts, but it's it's pretty important. If you mm-hmm. don't have spot, we'll also tank your domain authority and your whole email performance is kind of lost. So mm-hmm. it's important to upkeep that. Yep, totally. So Jeremy, what's next for you? I mean, you know, you've you've got again a really interesting role at a at I think a really interesting company that I'm sure has been absolutely on fire probably since you know the the whole COVID era and e-commerce just being through the roof. And I imagine that has 
generated a ton of demand for for the value that you guys are providing but what are you looking to do next either professionally or from a learning standpoint like what's what's on the horizon for you in terms of like your next steps your development and and whatever this journey is going to end up being for you i'm just trying to learn as much as i can and get really familiar with the tools that i'm using and the the strategy that we're trying to to develop and uh, work on and learn from my peers and how they're coming up with that strategy and why we're doing what we're doing. That's really how I learn best is understanding the why behind everything. In terms of specific tactics and campaigns we're working on for next year, yeah. for us is trying to reduce form fields. And we know that people don't want to fill out forms anymore. So using data enrichment to get people the content they want and similar to that, that it's okay to have this much data in, in the world right now of I know that you know this thing about me. Let me yeah. just get the the PDF and then keep moving on with my day. Um, that's a big project for us. And then also looking more into our email channels and with all that segmentation, who's receiving what email when and trying to stay on top of how often we're emailing our different segments and why we're emailing them and making sure that we're we're not bombarding people, but yep. we're we're just getting to the the most engaged contacts. So yeah, a lot of good stuff to come. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will have to have a follow-up conversation because, uh, again, I think it is really interesting, I think, to understand your perspective on on not only your your role and what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, but also how you think about demand marketing in general. And, and I'm sure that there will be a ton of learnings for you to be able to share with, with me and our audience um, in the future as well. I want to say thank you very much for joining us on Growth Marketing Camp today. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear a little bit about you and and the work that you're doing. And, and um, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks a lot, Bobby. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Growth Marketing Camp. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would give it a quick five-star rating or share it with a friend or colleague looking to strengthen their skills with tips and inspiration. If you want to learn more about the company behind the show, head to opensense.com. That's O-P-E-N-S-E-N-S-E.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.